Well, we're looking at the passage we read in John chapter 6. And just uh, the background, it's uh, the section follows on from the narrative of the feeding of the 5,000 and, and Jesus walking on the water. Uh, and uh, Jesus and his disciples had landed on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee during the night. Uh, and some of the crowd who'd seen the miracle or, or uh, benefited from the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 uh, had remained on the eastern shore, probably in the, in the hope of benefiting from further miracles. And we can only imagine how perplexed they were when they couldn't find Jesus. Uh, only one boat had left. Jesus wasn't on it, so where was Jesus? And they, they came to the correct collusion, conclusion that he'd gone back to the western shore, though they, they didn't know how. But they were seeking Jesus. That's an encouragement in one sense, and we think, well, that, that's, that's great. These are people who are seeking Jesus. And then we're told the boats came from Tiberias. They, they got into them. They were ferried over to the western shore. And uh, when they arrived, they, they find Jesus there. And they still can't work out how he got there. They ask him, when did you come here? We would have thought that Jesus would be pleased to see these people. They were seeking him. But Jesus' reply in verse 26, doesn't answer their question. Because Jesus knows their hearts. And instead of giving the answer to their question, he goes straight to the heart of the matter. He exposes the real reason the crowd had followed him. And that's because they were governed by worldly and sensual desires. Their views were superficial They're materialistic, verse 26. Their real interest in Jesus lies in his feeding their bellies. So that they no longer have to work for their food. That's their thinking. They are so obsessed with the material world, they're not able to see the true blessing which God in Jesus is offering them. Jesus says, you saw the miracles, but you didn't understand the significance of them. They were signs. And they didn't recognize that he was the Christ, the Son of God, in whom they should put their trust. And they followed simply because they'd eaten their fill of the loaves he had multiplied. There was no spiritual desire in these people. They may have been seeking Jesus, but for the wrong reason. And we can have people like that today. They come to church for what they can get out of it. And they can be content with the material benefits of being part of a fellowship. There's friendship. There's emotional support. There can be financial support. They listen to the word week by week. But it has no impact on them because they don't want Jesus for his own sake. Just for what they can get in this life. Jesus has to challenge them. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, 
which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. There's a challenge to to them, there's a challenge to us not to spend our life pursuing that which can't meet our need. And physical food could never fill the void in their hearts and physical things can never fill the void in our hearts. Jesus says, rather spend your time working uh, on works of faith in the one God has sent. And this produces food that brings everlasting life. It's everlasting life which Christ gives to those who believe on him. It's on him God has set his seal. Remember, it is baptism. Uh, He's declared to be uh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And and God the Father speaks, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the many miracles that he does and has done all bear witness to God setting his seal upon him. Jesus made it clear that the only one work was necessary. That's to believe on him. And people think they have to earn their salvation. They have to do something to be saved. Jesus says, one work, believe on me. We see their unbelief here. Verse 30. Why should we believe in you? What sign are you going to give us? It seems a very strange sign. A strange question. God had already already performed many signs. Jesus had fed fed them the day before. What a glorious sign that was. How could they dare to say, show us a sign? But the reality was the rabbis taught that when the Messiah came, he would duplicate the miracle of the manna. And if Jesus was truly sent by God, then let him prove it by causing manna to fall from heaven. Jesus responds by telling them that Moses was not the one who gave the manna. It was the Father. And and the bread which fell in the days of Moses could only feel and satisfy the body. The Son of Man had come to feed the soul. And the bread which fell in the days of Moses was only for the benefit of Israel, for the Jews. The Son of Man had come to offer eternal life to the world. Those who at the manor, died and were buried, and many of them were lost forever. But those who ate the bread which the Son of Man provided would be saved eternally. And yet they still don't understand what Jesus is saying to them. And they say to him, Sir, keep on giving us this bread. Give it to us continually. Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And this statement contains the first of of seven of the great I am statements that are recorded by John. Statements that are found nowhere else in the Gospels. We have this one, Jesus is the bread of life. We're told in uh, chapter 8, he's The light of the world, all who follow, will have the light of life. He's the door, those who enter in through him will be saved. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the only way of salvation. He's the true vine. I am the true vine. And his people are branches and they live in him. They abide in him and they're kept by him. But Jesus is the I am and it's an important thing. Jesus revealed himself to Moses, sorry, God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush by the name I am. We translated Jehovah, uh, Yahweh, uh, and his name reveals his character. In Exodus, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is God's name. It tells us something about his character. He is the self-existent one, the eternal, unchanging God. And yet when the Lord Jesus Christ appears to John in Revelation, he says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Daniel has a vision of him also, sees him in his glory. And Jesus takes the holy name of God to himself. I am. You know, many today and throughout the ages have denied that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They will say he was a good man. They will say he was only a man. Good though he was. They will say he was a prophet. They will say, uh, as some do today, he was the son of man as we're all sons, uh, son of God as we are all sons of God. They tell us he never claimed to be God. And yet when Jesus used the name I am, he was definitely claiming to be God. In John 8, he says, Before Abraham was, I am. This is my name. And the Jews knew exactly what he said, and they knew exactly what he meant, and they knew he was claiming to be God, and they tried to kill him for it. Eventually, they succeed. In John 1, we're told, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Jesus Christ is the eternal God. He is being with God from eternity. He existed in the form of God before he came into the world. In Philippians 2, we're told equality with God was his right. Jesus Christ is and always will be the eternal Son of God, the third person of the glorious Trinity. He's a creator. He's a sustainer of the universe. We're told in John 1, all things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus is God. Jesus himself says, I and my Father are one. He is the I am. Then he tells us, I am the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I'm the one who both imparts and sustains life. Uh, For Jesus, uh, uh, he's speaking to a group of people for whom bread was what we call the staff of life. It is for many uh, people even today. It was a primary source of nourishment. And in various forms, it is for millions of people in the world in our time. Uh, And we find... Uh, he, he is the bread of life. Bread is a basic food. It, it's used universally. 
And the fact that he is the bread of life implies that he is for everyone. Caviar and other luxury foods are not for everyone. They are for the few. But bread is for all. And Jesus is the saviour of the world. He himself is the appointed food of man's souls. The soul of every man is naturally starving because of sin. And Christ is given by God the Father to be the one who satisfies the answer to man's spiritual need. And in him, and in him alone, will empty souls find their need satisfied. And all who come to him will be satisfied. There's a human responsibility here. It's all who come. They must come. Who he is, what he offers, demands a response from us. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So how can we have our deepest needs satisfied? Well, we come, we believe, and we come in repentance and faith to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus said, You've seen me, but you don't believe. How sad. He puts the responsibility on them. He puts the blame upon these unbelievers themselves. They are fully responsible because they don't believe, they don't accept him. In John 1 verse 10, we're told he was in the world. The world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. We've been thinking in recent weeks about those who've had encounters with Christ and and the wonderful work of grace he did in their lives. And here we have another encounter with Christ, and we see the sad truth that thousands who benefited from Jesus' miracles and his preaching in the time that he was alive on this earth did not believe and rejected him. I've heard people say, well, if I saw Jesus, I would believe. If I saw the miracles, I would believe. The reality is, they don't. Because it's of faith. It's not because of the signs that he does. They point to him. But people have to believe in him. And it's a warning to all of us. These people had great privileges. They heard God's word. They heard it preached by the greatest preacher ever but still did not have faith. We see God's initiative in in, in this as well, in salvation. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And Jesus wants to to make it clear that because unbelievers are wholly responsible for their rejection of God's salvation, it doesn't mean that those who accept Jesus with an open heart can claim any credit for the good work. When a person believes on Jesus, he's not doing a good work that earns him salvation. Ephesians 2, For by grace are ye saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Even our faith is a gift of God. It is God's sovereign purpose from eternity to redeem a people for himself. It's all of grace. And we must come 
And we have this wonderful assurance that all who come to me will be accepted. No one who comes will be thrown out. No one will be rejected. Why? Well, it's because it's the Father's will. Jesus came to do the Father's will. And there's no friction between him and the Father. The Father gives, the Son receives. And those who reject Jesus, reject God. Those who come to Jesus will be received by the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's only one way. And so we see that wonderful hope that there is for us in Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when we do come, there's wonderful benefits. Verse 39. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. And it speaks of the believer's security in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus not only has power to save, but also power to keep. He is the great I am, the omnipotent, eternal, unchanging God. He set his love upon a people of his choice. And he's promised to keep them, to never leave them or forsake them. And he can be trusted. Not only is there the will to save and keep, but the same power and authority that called the universe into being is being exercised continually in the salvation and preservation of God's children. We've been looking at Malachi on Wednesdays, and Malachi 3, verse 6, uh, we have these with, I am the Lord, I do not change, therefore you are not consumed. God has set his love on his people in eternity. Even though we go astray, even though we sometimes are not the people we ought to, to be, he doesn't change. He loves us to the end. And this is what we call the eternal security of the believer. It's not a boring theological statement, but it's a present, wonderfully reassuring present reality. It's something uh, that we have. This assurance, God has set his love upon us. He's not going to change his mind. He's going to keep us. Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Not only will everyone who comes be saved, everyone who comes will be kept forever. And then we have the believer's destiny here also. Verse 40, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. What's our destiny? Well, to be raised up. It's God's will that everyone who believes in Jesus will have everlasting life, but more than that, uh, it's something uh, that, that is promised. It's absolutely certain. Told in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He said so. And it's guaranteed. Everything he says is true. God is not a man, we're told, that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make good? God has said these things. 
and God will fulfill them. And it points to, uh, to uh, this other important doctrine here. The perseverance of the saints. We're told we will be raised up at the last day. Not might be, could be, possibly. We will be. We'll be kept and we'll be brought to heaven. Either when Christ comes or if we die before. What a wonderful assurance that is. Jesus died to save his people. The question for all of us here, have you trusted in him? Or are you like the people we read about, uh, we've read about this morning, who only cared about the here and the now, the, the bread, the, the blessings uh, that uh, are passing, and they turned on their back on Jesus, who was their only hope of heaven. You know, we're, we, we love John 3.16, but we're not so fond of John 3.17. He that believeth not is condemned already. You don't have to do anything to go to hell. Just carry on living the life that you're living now. Because salvation is in Christ. And he is the only way. And unless we turn to him, then we are lost forever. But for those who do trust in him, well, there are great blessings and, and great assurances. In Jude chapter 124, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Saviour, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. He's able to keep us from falling. He's able to bring us safely to heaven, where one day we enter into that glorious inheritance, joy unspeakable, full of glory. Pray that God would bless us as we listen to his word and as we uh, hear what he has to say to us. Pray that it's not just words that come and go, that, that come in one ear, go out the other. Pray that by his grace uh, we might think upon these things and he might apply them to our hearts. Jesus has done a wonderful work of salvation. Have we trusted in him? Without him, there is no future. There is no hope.